what would you add to costs and fees if I were just adding another master bedroom suite to my house, right? That's exactly what you should be charging, you know, to put a tiny home, for example, in the backyard. You know, shouldn't be, shouldn't treat it as if it's a whole new house. I mean, that makes no sense. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 285 with Dan Fitzpatrick. As the president of Thea and the director of government relations for the American Tiny House Association, Dan is at the forefront of the movement to legalize tiny homes as a viable housing option in the United States. In today's episode, we'll dive into the progress being made in legalizing tiny homes, the collaboration between Tiny Home Industry Association and the International Code Council, and the challenges faced in navigating zoning constraints for placing tiny houses. We'll also discuss the importance of working with local leaders to bring about change, as well as Dan's work with Vera Strzok and the introduction of a bill to legalize tiny homes in Massachusetts. Whether you're a tiny house enthusiast or simply curious about the movement, this episode will provide valuable insights into the future of legal tiny homes. So sit back, relax, and let's get started with Dan Fitzpatrick. I asked John and Finn Kernahan of United Tiny House Association what they love about their Precision Temp hot water heaters, and here's what they told me. Hey, Ethan, uh, this is uh, John and Finn Kernahan with United Tiny House Association. We organize tiny house festivals. Oh, yeah, I guess so. First and foremost. We have a total of three Precision Temp on-demand hot water heaters. The thing we really like about these, and folks know this, I think they picked this up on Finn and I, if we don't like something... You'll never hear us talk about it. So the two things we noticed uh, that, that we noticed and experienced immediately, uh, they took painstaking effort to make sure that it was done right and installed. And so that was pretty cool right there. The other thing is the continuous on-demand hot water that just ran forever without any fluctuations or anything. I, I can't imagine an application, especially in our environment and our lifestyle of being the the nomad, transportable, mobile, uh, tiny lifestyle where um, one of these units aren't uh, good to use. Right now, Precision Temp is offering $100 off any unit plus free shipping when you use the coupon code THLP. So head over to precisiontemp.com and use the coupon code THLP at checkout for $100 off any unit. That's P-R-E-C-I-S-I-O-N, temp.com, coupon code T-H-L-P. Thank you so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. All right, I am here with Dan Fitzpatrick. Dan is the Thea President and the Director of Government Relations for the American Tiny House Association. Working with these organizations during the past several years, he has made numerous presentations to state and local governments throughout North America. He wrote and processed the ordinance amendments that legalized movable tiny homes as ADUs in Fresno, San Luis Obispo, Los Angeles, San Jose, and Santa Clara County in California. Additionally, he worked on state law changes in Washington, Oregon, Florida, New Hampshire, California, and Maine, and continues to consult with local tiny home advocates. Dan Fitzpatrick, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you. It's been a while since I've been on. Yeah, it has been a while, and uh, and you have you've been busy. Yeah, no, things are uh, very busy with uh, the Tiny Home Industry Association as we 
work with uh, state and municipalities around the nation to uh, legalize yeah. tiny homes. As you well know, a lot of that is just an education yep. of what tiny homes are, especially the ones on wheels, and uh, to get acceptance of them. And uh, I remember starting to work on this back in 2015, 2016. Yeah. And you could barely get anyone's attention to even talk to you. Yeah. And now uh, it's sort of the flavor of the day. Everyone wants to talk to us about it. Yeah. And a lot, lot, lot is happening. Um, it's funny. There was this article in Wired magazine maybe a month or two ago that, that the headline was like, what happened to the tiny house movement? And it, it kind of it kind of pronounced the tiny house movement as being like dead and done. And it was it, it was a bad article. And when I read it, I just thought, well, actually, it's just heating up or the, the real work, you know, after the flash in the pan of the reality TV shows and, and the kind of kitschy novel tiny house stuff. There's actually been real progress at at making tiny houses a viable legal housing option in in multiple states in the country. Yeah, I read the uh, same article and uh, it was uh, very poorly written, uh, very badly researched. And uh, because, uh, yeah, you know, years ago, the big issue was how to build tiny homes. And most of our builders were you know, working out of their garage. They were lucky if they did two a year. Now, yeah. now we're up to uh, most of our builders, you know, many of them that started out eight years ago are building anywhere from 50 to 100 a year. Yeah. Are also building to not only the, uh, what we call the ANSI standards, but are now moving into both modular and uh, HUD mm-hmm. code type uh, units uh, for their builds. Okay. Uh, so the, the industry is very alive and well, and we're moving into more and more of uh, tiny home communities springing up all over the country. Yeah, and that's that's exciting because I think that the the model of somebody, you know, potentially buying their own land or finding somebody's backyard to rent, that is still, in my opinion, a very viable way of living tiny, but it it the numbers, it's not going to scale enough to meet the demand. And so, you know, when you can take a piece of land and and put 20 or 50 or 100 tiny houses on it, that's going to going to get us there a lot a lot sooner. Yeah, the uh, scale is important uh, not only for our users but for our builders. You know, the more yeah, number of units they are able to build, you know, each year, they can then buy in bulk. It'll drive the cost of units uh, down. Yeah. And you're seeing that uh, happening more and more now. Uh, across the nation. So do you think the prices of tiny houses are coming down now as a result of of all the builders entering entering the fray and the legalization efforts? Let's put it this way. The answer is yes and no to that. On one hand, inflation, okay. especially after the pandemic, yeah. You know, increased units that were selling let's say 65 to 75 are now 85 to 95, right? Okay. But because they are now building at scale, that's been trimmed. I mean, it's sort of stopped there. It's not increased or if, if people were still building at the scale they were five, six years ago, mm-hmm. the inflation rate for units would be even higher today. So, um, yeah, uh, fortunately, some of the supply chain issues we've had, especially with windows, mm. is uh, scaling to the extent that uh, we're able to buy in bulk and get them in a timely uh, uh, manner. And 
I think when you see various municipalities, uh, states, and the building code regulations become very much more normalized, Mm -hmm. you'll see that scale, the economy of scale, improve uh, dramatically. Excellent. So I I feel like there's kind of two two big topics or two big things to cover. Um, One being the the ICC um, tiny house provisions, and then the efforts to legalize, you know, kind of what's been happening state by state. So why don't we start with with the ICC, the International Code Council, and the collaboration with Thea? Can you just, you know, I think most people who follow this or don't follow this, their their ears, their eyes glaze over when they start hearing about standards and and codes. So can you kind of explain this in in layman's terms? Like what what does this mean? What is this? Well, let's let's make it real simple. All building codes for habitable dwelling units, keyword, habitable dwelling units, okay, are governed nationally by the International Code Council, the ICC. Okay. So anytime you go down to your local city municipality to get a building permit, they're issuing you a building permit based on building codes promulgated by ICC. Right? They're they're the gold standard nationally. Okay. So the Tiny Home Industry Association made a very conscious decision and effort to befriend them. Mm -hmm. Remember back in 2016, 2017, they would barely talk to you. Right. You know, today we're collaborating. I mean, that's a big, big change that in 2018, we did the residential code that included tiny home provisions for Appendix Q. Yeah. uh, 2021, it got updated and clarified for the Appendix AQ. Mm -hmm. And now today we, we are collaborating. We actually put out a new handbook called the Tiny House Building It Right. Mm-hmm. Of building tiny homes and tiny homes on chassis, okay, with ICC. I mean, can you imagine that happening <laughs> six, seven years ago? And they even have a specific chapter in there on foundation things, you know, peer type systems for, you know, putting chassis, you know, on you know, piece of property and tying it down. So major progress has worked with them, and and why it's so important is. Mm-hmm. is once we have we have this new committee being formed that will create a national okay. standard for the design, construction, and inspection and regulation of tiny homes on chassis. Mm-hmm. Once that's published, it's now being published by a authority, by ICC, that all municipalities, all states trust. And that's like putting money in the bank. It, it, it will, you know, it will be immediately accepted and acceptable around the nation. So now we'll have one standard, mm-hmm. one ability that users, builders, suppliers, et, et cetera, can now build to and scale their production. Right. So it sounds like that helps both builders scale up, but it also helps municipalities who want to legalize tiny homes in some way because they have standards that are just they can pull right off the shelf. They don't have to invent them. Oh, absolutely. I uh I just gave a talk to the chief building officials from many of the municipalities in California. And they were just thrilled to hear about that there's going to be a committee and a standard for this because they're all mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to put round pegs and square holes. 
and <laughs> they yeah. just want to have a simple, simple handbook, so to speak, to go to, to be able to legalize, to add, to give building permits for units that aren't built on wheels. And, and they all want to, I mean, trust me, I mean, it, it's yeah. not that they're pushing back. They're just wanting to have a clear, concise way of dealing with a unit that that they get more calls on tiny homes than almost anything else on a daily basis. Wow. Wow. They want to work with us as much as we want to work with them to get this done. Yeah. Yeah. And and if we were talking about there being a shortage of housing and a housing crisis, you know, six, seven years ago, then, you know, that is is like a joke compared to compared to now, at least where I live in Vermont. I mean, the, the prices of homes have just continued to climb and the demand is is has is growing and the supply is not. Yeah, and that's uh typical around uh the country. Mm-hmm. It used to be, you know, just the certain metropolitan areas. It's now across the country. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But uh I think we're we're making tremendous progress. Mm-hmm. And and quite frankly, once we get through this building code standards uh process, mm-hmm. hopefully it'll happen within the next two years, the building code issues Mm -hmm. are getting resolved very, very quickly. Okay. The biggest issue by far now overseeing all of this are zoning issues, zoning constraints. Yes. And does this, you know, does this work do anything to address zoning constraints? Well, let's put it this way. It, when I go talk to municipalities, uh-huh. The planners I talk to point to the building code guys saying they won't do it. They won't let us do it, right? And the building code guys, yeah. quite frankly, yeah. are getting upset about that because they know a lot yeah. of the issues are on the zoning side. So it takes away that sure. crutch and that we can now talk to the elected officials saying, hey, get on your planners to get rid of yeah. some of the silly things that are, are in the code, like minimum square footage for dwelling units on residential property. I mean, that's ridiculous, Uh, especially with 70% of our households now nationally are two or less people. Yeah. You know, my God, we need studio studio, uh, apartments and units. We need one bedroom units and tiny homes and small homes Mm. are absolutely perfect for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that, you know, I know another big barrier that, that people seem to face when trying to you know, do this type of infill work, like putting a tiny home and as an accessory dwelling is, is dealing with water and, and sewage and things, because that can also often be really expensive to tie into a city's sewer system. Yeah. And we, we face that in a number of places. And one of the, yeah, uh, one of the key terms that I'm trying to educate are uh, or educate the tiny world to use when they're dealing yeah. with local government officials is the word proportionate. Yeah. You know, why are you charging us the same fees and the same process for hooking up a McMansion as, <laughs> as sure. it is for our little tiny home? That doesn't make any sense. Right. And that resonates understand that. one shower. Yeah. 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 And, and the, the way I like to phrase it is that, you know, uh, what would you add? to costs and fees if I were just adding another master bedroom suite to my house. Yeah. Right? That's exactly what you should be charging, you know, to put a tiny home, for example, in the backyard. 
you know, shouldn't be, shouldn't treat it as if it's a whole new house. I mean, that makes no sense. Yeah. 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 And so there's anybody who follows, you know, the tiny home industry and in the news, you know, has probably also heard about an ASTM committee and, and another standards effort. How do you, how do you view the, the two standards efforts? Well, I mean, we as an organization, as the Tiny Home Industry Association, are, continue, are going to continue to work with ICC because that's where the action is. That's who is going to say yay or nay to building codes yeah. nationally over the next you know, 20, 50 plus years. They've been doing it since I've been involved in sure. local governments, and that's since 1973. Okay. So, uh, yes, maybe ASTM will come up with some ideas that can be incorporated, but it'll be incorporated into the ICC code. Mm -hmm. And so uh, got it. we're going to continue to work with uh, the, the group that, let's back up a second. It's, there's a two-step process yeah. to doing building codes. Okay. Step one is doing the standard. Mm. You know, nationally, you come up with, in essence, the publication on here's the standard mm -hmm. that quite frankly, that's the easy part. OK, the most difficult part is now getting 50 states and 30,000 municipalities to adopt it. Right. Yeah. And okay. we know as an organization, the best group to be able to get it adopted is ICC. It's that simple mm -hmm. because ICC. Mm -hmm is made up of the chief building officials from all 50 states and the 30,000 municipalities. Mm. They're, in essence, writing codes for themselves. Of course, they're going to adopt that which they uh, were part of. So uh, even though at times it was a slow process, we now have a very, very good collaborative working effort or program with ICC to the extent that we were invited guests at the recent ICC Expo and Conference in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And when I say an invited guest, they invited us to bring one of our tiny homes to be part of the Expo. Nice. And Wind River out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, were kind enough mm -hmm. to bring one of their units. Okay. And we had building officials from all across the country crawling through that thing over three days, trying to find something wrong with it. And, and it was very, very well received. Uh, nice. No one could find anything wrong with it. <laughs> it's the only time I've been to a expo with a tiny house that we literally had people crawling under the chassis looking at it, uh, opening <laughs> up the electrical panels. Yeah getting down under the sink to make sure the plumbing was right. Yeah. And so we, we made a lot of converts at the ICC convention. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's actually one of my favorite things to do at tiny home, like fairs and shows is to crawl under the tiny <laughs> houses and just, and, and make the judgment whether this house would work in the Northeast or not. If there's, is there any plumbing underneath? Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's yeah. Uh, it was a, uh, it's been very, very heartening to uh, work with, very professional people at ICC and working through a lot of the, you know, issues that are unique to our, you know, product. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and have at this expo, we were able to run into the national experts in all the various fields to sit down and discuss with them different ways of handling 
these issues. Uh, and I'm nice. Uh, come December, the first week in December, ICC will announce the 18 members that will be on the committee to write the building standards for uh, units built on chassis. Nice. Well, that's fantastic. And as soon as that comes out, uh, we will publish all of the names of who's going to be involved. It's a very open and transparent process. Anyone that wants to be involved just needs to call in on the Zoom call mm -hmm. and uh, be involved. And uh, I'm sure there will be a number of tiny home builders, uh, users, you know, suppliers on that committee. Mm -hmm. A good cross section of folks from New England to California, from Florida to you know Washington on that committee. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, it wasn't my most recent episode, but it was the episode before that, number two eighty three. I had um, I had Vera Struck on the show for actually the third time, um, but this time uh, Vera became kind of a reluctant lobbyist and and helped to really get things going in, in Massachusetts. And she, you know, she really lauded your work and Thea's work in, in helping to make it happen. Um, can you talk about what that was like? Yes. Uh, now, uh, Vera and I talked uh, with each other. Oh, my God, this goes back maybe three or four years ago about needing to do mm -hmm. something in her backyard there in uh, Massachusetts. Yep. And we've been successful, as you well know, in some other municipalities and states, uh, uh, certainly up in Maine, we, you know, got a bill passed, what was it, three or four years ago now, working with uh, mm -hmm. Corinne uh, Watson and, and her team at uh, yep. Tiny Home of Maine. Anyway, yep. Vera and I began talking, and here's the process that works well, whether it's with local government or state governments. Mm -hmm. I try to work with things on a national, you know, basis, but to get laws change, you have to have a very local organization to take the lead. Mm. I mean, why do people in Massachusetts want, want to listen to this old guy from California? They don't. They need to talk to uh, folks that are voters. Yeah. And having Vera set up her task force, and when we're actually having sit-down meetings, you know, legislators, and she tries to bring in a constituent of theirs, you know, on the phone call. Boy, does that get their attention real quick, is that they start asking their constituent a question that they're having or problems they may be having with citing their tiny mm -hmm. homes or the availability mm -hmm. of affordable housing. So Vera and her team has done an outstanding uh, job of working with us on a national level to help write the bill, get it introduced. And now I think we're up to 20, 30 plus uh, sponsors, you know, of the bill. And it's making uh, great progress. And that's due to the, uh, the efforts uh, and day in and day out work of Vera on the phone with legislators getting the meetings and, and lobbying for it. So uh, it's uh, us, us uh, seniors are doing a <laughs> Outstanding job, certainly there in Massachusetts. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's a very time-consuming process. So I feel like you you need to make it your full-time job almost if you're going to try to to do this in your state. Just oh yeah, no, it takes to, a it takes a lot yeah. of effort. Uh, there's a lot of uh, yeah. legislators, uh, 
certainly there in New England, for example, New Hampshire. Is there anyone that is not a legislator? I mean, you know, <laughs> there's tons of them. Yeah. And so you have to go out and find out, you know, who are the leaders and then uh, work with them on getting an understanding of the law and bills. And the way we've written the proposed legislation, Massachusetts, it basically says is that the, you know, in essence, a unit has two licenses. From the chassis down, it's something that moves mm-hmm. the road, you know, on the road, on the public highway. So that needs to be licensed and overseen by, you know, in general, your Department of Motor Vehicles or Department of Transportation. Mm-hmm. From the chassis up, it needs to be built in accordance with, in general, in this case, uh, the state of Massachusetts Building Code. And having that generic mm-hmm. terminology as we're changing over the next few years, ICC rules, mm-hmm. and the state adopts them, we don't have to go back in and readopt or update the statute because whatever the right. Massachusetts building code is, we're already taken care of. Right. And that's, I think that's a really smart and, and innovative way to do it and to make the, to make it so that this law doesn't have to keep getting updated all the time. Yeah. We're doing a very similar bill in Florida. Uh, we just did one that uh, got approved and all the regulations approved in Colorado. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how that works its way through. They're sort of the um, guinea pig, so to speak, of you know working the system through. And so, as they run into various issues on you know each build over the years, it's information that we can then give to the other states on here's how sure. you know Colorado dealt with, for example, electrical hookups. You know, mm. you know when you have something movable, you don't want everything hardwired. You know, there, you know, there's other ways right, of handling right. the wiring. That's just one, uh, one example. And um, how to deal with uh, different municipalities, everything from wildfire, you know, problems to snow loads to out here in yep. uh, California, yep. earthquakes and hurricanes yeah. in Florida. So yeah. we're dealing with all of these issues state by state. So um, it sounds like this is a really great kind of partnership between grassroots participants, you know, people like Vera and Thea, and then the local legislators for, for anybody listening who thinks that they might, you know, want to, to embark on this kind of thing. I know you've said in the past, you know, get in touch. Um, are there any kind of training materials or things that you, you like people to kind of go through before they just start calling you? Well, what what what's important is is and uh, mm-hmm. for twenty five dollars you can be a member of the Tiny Home Industry Association, and mm-hmm. on there mm-hmm. there are webinars that I produced. Uh, one of them, which is about a you know an hour, on how to work with your local officials to make change. Okay, it talks about some of the basics in terms of uh, how do you approach your elected officials. Yeah preparing your elevator speech, you know, going to the beer and hot dog fundraiser for your local council member and how to buttonhole them and, and their, you know, staffs. Because the key to success, every place where I've been successful in getting laws changed, like city of Los Angeles or city of San Diego, is because we had a very active local chapter there 
got knocked on doors and went to committee meetings mm. and, you know, found out who was tiny friendly. And then they brought me in. You know, I can now go in and show them, okay, here's how you write it. Right. And here's how other cities have written it. And once they also mm -hmm. know about my background in city management and county administration, they have a much more comfortable mm -hmm. feeling that they're talking to a peer that, you know, understands yeah. their language to help them work through dealing with the issues now from their constituents mm. versus me cold calling, you know, someone in, uh, you know, Iowa isn't going to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm speaking of which I'm kind of looking at the list of states, Washington, Oregon, Florida, New Hampshire, California, Maine. It seems like we're working around the edges. Is <laughs> what what states are next up? Well, we you know, Colorado certainly, uh, yeah, Massachusetts, yeah. Uh, Florida are very much uh, in the mix of things. Mm -hmm. And I think having a national standard promulgated by ICC is going to help tremendously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, getting that done now. Now I can sit down with the building commissions of each 50 states mm -hmm. and show them. I say, hey, look, here's a standard. Here's all, you know, this is a published standard. This is not some yeah. crazy thing that I came up with in my basement. You know, this was put together by your peers nationally. You know, all you need to, to do is adopt it. Yeah. And I think you will, we will get a very good response to that because, as I said earlier, our local building officials, they get calls every week on what about tiny homes? They so desperately want to have answers to that and ways of dealing with it. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it'll be very interesting to see how quickly this will take off once we have the standard. Yeah. Now, is this a similar effort that will have to take place as to like basically after Appendix Q passed in 2018, basically like getting the states to adopt the latest version of the ICC code? Yeah, it's, a, it's an ongoing process and each yeah. state, each municipality is different. We basically have three types of states. Okay. And um, there are states like California or New York or Virginia that they pass a statewide code that everyone follows. Virginia and California, for example, have made mandatory Appendix Q and Appendix AQ, right? Mm. Then you have states where, you know, it's basically everything is up to local government to do. Okay. You know, that's more like Texas, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have states like Colorado that's half and half. Some abide by a statewide rule. Okay. And then there's other municipalities that go their own way, right? So having one standard written by ICC, which they all use, no matter their system, that they all use, you know, now you can go down to City Hall with an actual, you know, booklet and say, here's, yeah. here's what needs to be adopted. Got it. Well, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. You know, I'm curious, is there anything else that I, that I haven't asked you about that you kind of wanted to wanted to tell the audience it's been, you know, it's been a few years since you've been on the show and, and I hope to have you back sooner than that. Um, but yeah, any, any other updates to share? Well, the uh, tiny home industry association itself has uh, mm -hmm. grown and matured. We have uh, 12 outstanding board members now from all over the United States and a mix of uh, folks nice. that are 
builders and uh, users and advocates, mm -hmm. folks that are from the certification and inspection world yep. that inspect and certify our units, and, and some folks now, we just put two members on uh, that come from the world of creating tiny communities. Nice. For example, Will Johnson from MicroLife. Mm -hmm. Uh, down in Atlanta area, just joined. Uh, he's one of our new board members, as well as Abby Shank out of uh, Pennsylvania, who does uh, yep. tiny home communities in different places around the country. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're expanding into, you know, this new growth area uh, for tiny homes. It's not just building them and zoning, but working with uh, communities on creating opportunities for infill cluster development, as well as tiny home uh, communities, you know, done in suburban or rural area. Awesome. And uh, so our big focus um, the next coming years, besides finishing up the building code stuff, yeah, is really working hard on making the zoning codes more tiny friendly. And to that end, uh, and bringing uh, folks on like uh, Abby and uh, Will, mm -hmm. is we're collecting ordinances. And if any of your listeners are familiar with uh, something in their community where they passed an ordinance to allow infill tiny home development or other types of things, mm -hmm. send me those ordinances. The more examples I have, yeah. the more I'm able to go and show a municipality, here's how Port Townsend did it in Washington, or here's how the city of Raleigh did infill cluster development, or here's how Clayton, Georgia you know, did the micro life, you know, project. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because planners are very busy people, you know, elected officials are very busy. If you can give them examples and actual written language on how others have done it and show them a pretty picture of here's what was built under this, it's worth its weight in gold. It helps us. Excellent. Well, for anyone listening who knows of such ordinances, you, you heard Dan, <laughs> send them in. Yeah. And in the meantime, go uh, knock on doors of your local elected officials or anyone else you know at uh, City Hall and uh, yep. talk to them about uh, barriers to uh, tiny home you know, living and uh, find out mm -hmm. uh, if there's uh, folks that are willing to talk with us about uh, changing their various laws, whether it's the building side or the zoning side. Excellent. Yeah, it's a two-pronged two -pronged approach. What, I, what, we, what we need is... Uh, a hundred more Veris trucks out there that yes. help us, uh, you know, knock on legislator or council member or county commissioner, or county supervisor's doors and to talk, talk to tiny talk. Yeah. Well, I think we can both agree that Vera truck is one of a kind, but we need people who are inspired by Vera <laughs> who want to do the same work. <laughs> well, Dan Fitzpatrick, thank you so much for, for being back on the show. I can't wait to share this one and, and hope to have you back in, in a few months to talk about whatever comes next. Yeah, be happy to. Thank you so much to Dan Fitzpatrick for being a guest on the show once again. You can find the show notes, including a complete transcript, links to the resources Dan talked about, and much more at thetinyhouse.net slash 285. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 285. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I will be back in two weeks with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.